Wow. Again, what a week. Ed Keenan uh, from the Toronto Star is joining us uh, to kind of run down all that has happened in the hallowed halls of un- municipal life in this city. Um, Ed, are you alive? Are you- <laughs> Maggie, I am. And I am. I imagine you wanted me mostly to talk about Ryan O'Reilly coming to the Leafs. Of course. That's exactly what I wanted you to talk about. Yeah. News of the week in uh, municipal affairs. Everybody's excited about that. I just, uh, honestly, on that note, I am a graduate of Cardinal Newman High School, uh, which is now, I guess, changed its name to John Henry Newman High School, mm. um, it, on the Scarborough Bluffs. And now Michael Bunting of the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, went there, and now Ryan O'Reilly also went there. Wow. Um, and Ed Keenan went there. All my mind of pride. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm available to come out of retirement uh, <laughs> if they need somebody to complete the Newman line. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm good in the room, uh, even better at the bar after the game. <laughs> A little rusty on the ice. Um, uh, but of course, uh, of course, it was like an epic week at City Hall, the kind we haven't seen uh, <laughs> in a long time. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, Toronto hasn't seen a mayor resign uh, since the 1970s. Mm. Uh, the last mayor who resigned over a controversy rather than having gotten a different job uh, was actually in 1848. Wow. So, you know, we've had scandals at City Hall. Yeah. A lot of people, there was a long Will Rob Ford resign or get kicked out watch at City Hall. <laughs> um, but, you know, the kind of week we just had doesn't happen every day. Um, no, it doesn't. Now, you know, when we last talked, I mean, everything was just blowing up, right? Like Mm -hmm. news had just broken and he had, he meaning mayor, now former mayor Tory, had announced his resignation. Were you surprised, Ed, that it took so long for him to actually formally resign? I mean, once I heard that on Friday, I thought, okay, the papers are in, it's done. Yeah, there's a little bit of, um, and, and, you know, through the week, there was some speculation that he was going to change his mind. Yeah. Uh, people were lobbying him. Um, I mean, the real reason he stayed as long as he did, and in retrospect, I think this is a bit more obvious, uh, is is kind of a little bit of a cynical reason. But essentially, you know, after announcing that he thought what he had done merited him resigning for the sake of the city and his family and everything like that, uh, he, he basically, the new strong mayor system requires that it be the mayor's budget. Mm -hmm. And the mayor kind of presents it, and the mayor gets to veto any changes people try to make to it. And the budget meeting was scheduled for Wednesday. And so they they realized that if he stepped down, uh, the deputy mayor, Jennifer McKelvey, acting as the head of council, did not have the strong mayor powers to kind of push that budget through without Mm -hmm. major changes. Uh, So, you know, he... He said to the people of Toronto, you know, I have to go. It's the right thing to do. But before I go, I'm going to stay one more week uh, to make sure that city council uh, is stuck with the budget I gave them uh, when I was still the mayor. Um, so, you know, that's what happened. And, yeah. and along the way, there was a lot of lobbying, including from Premier Doug Ford publicly to say, hey, maybe you could take a mulligan on this. Maybe this is a survivable scandal and you don't need to leave. Uh, but when John Tory spoke yesterday in some, you know, slightly emotional remarks uh, after, you know, eight years, two months, 16 days as mayor, um, he, he said, you know, that, that this was the right thing to do, that there, he made a mistake. Uh, people had been harmed 
much more than he had, and that it was the best for the city for him to leave. And I, I, after hearing him say that and talking to some people around him a little bit, I, I think he was never really wavering. Um, he's not the kind of guy who likes to get down in the mud and ride out a scandal. There are politicians who can do that. But I think he, he thought, you, you know, after a long public career, that I, I legitimately think he thinks his family needs his attention now. Mm. Do you think, I mean, I understand the whole strong mayor powers and, you know, technically having to be there, but did it show a side of him that, like, I am going to keep my foot in this budget? I mean, there's been so much criticism about the budget, Ed. Uh, yeah. You know, historically one of the largest budgets we've seen. You know, there are some people who just feel like he should have just gone. He shouldn't have been at that budget meeting. It was like him just, you know, I'm standing on this and I'm going to force this down the throats of my critics. Uh, how yeah. do you feel about that? Uh, well, I do think that there is something, um, like if you've admitted that, that you don't have the moral authority to do the job anymore. Right. It seems a little bit off to then insist that you still have the moral authority to dictate how other people are going to do that job once you're gone, yeah. right? Um, as you say, there's been a lot of criticism of this budget, and I think probably a lot of 640 listeners uh, are aware of criticism about the size of the tax hikes or mm-hmm. things like that. Um, uh, there's been also a lot of criticism about things like it not having enough money to open warming centers to shelter the homeless or about cuts to TTC service. So. Um, there's a big uh, gap in the budget of money that they're asking the province and the federal government to provide, and they're basically banking on it to provide that money, right? Um, It it was not anybody's idea, I don't think, of an ideal budget. Even John Tory uh, thought that, you know, COVID had had put the city in a financial position that made this really, really tough. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I do think at at a certain point, if you're resigning uh, because of wrongdoing that you've admitted and that you acknowledged is wrong, um, then I I think the conventional thing to do is get out the door. (laughs) But, you know, John Tory, for better and for worse, like his whole career has been marked by a, a sense in his mind and his most strident supporters' mind that he is an uncannily uniquely great manager and that his calm management skills are required in some situations. And also uh, with uh, taking his time to make up his mind and kind of hemming and hawing about things. And so in a sense, as much as this scandal was a shock for a lot of people, even who knew John Tory well, because it didn't seem to be in his character, uh, the way that he resigned and then the, the way he took his time actually leaving uh, was a bit on brand of the, his 20-year public life career here. I want to talk a little bit more about the budget, Ed. Um, you know, again, no surprise for our listeners hearing, because we've covered this pretty well on the station. Um, you know, the the increase to the police budget was passed, um, as well as the TTC hiring 20 additional streets to homes workers and so forth. But the 8 million additional spending uh, is quite interesting. And you alluded to it as well with the warming center. They did decide that they will provide funding for one additional uh, warming center 24-7, which, you know, is interesting. And, and uh, what I think I heard from some counselors is that will be kind of the test 
to see how this works, um, having a warming center open for the rest of the winter. Anything else that stood out to you specifically with that $8 million that they miraculously found uh, for the budget? Yeah, um, so, so the, the way that $8 million, we knew that wasn't, uh, that, that money wasn't necessarily a surprise, I guess. Um, you know, the mayor had presented his budget you know, he kicked it off at the beginning of the year and said this was going to be in it. And then yep. there were formal hearings and whatnot. And then when he, you know, there's like a technicality where he has to formally present the budget after those hearings. Yep. And so when he did that on February 1st, he said that uh, at his request and, and the budget committee's request, city staff had gone back to re-examine sort of line by line and see if they could find any more Dollars, and yep. they would do that by you know trying to save money on things that were unnecessary, or whatever. And that you know, in a sixteen billion dollar budget, they had found an additional six million dollars that city council would be able to figure out how to allocate. And at the meeting, uh, the budget chief Gary Crawford, basically talking to a city staff member, they they kind of came out that they could stretch that to eight million dollars. That mm-hmm. this money that would be found like by not you know, conservatively not spending some of the other money on things that maybe weren't absolutely necessary. Um, and and what happened is that there was like what they called, you know, kind of a consensus motion where some of the mayor's fiercest critics on council, uh, Alejandra Bravo, Gord Perks, uh, you know, the progressive wing, and some of the mayor's allies had sort of sat down and said, okay, we've got $8 million here to spend. What what would be our top priorities to to you know put in the budget that people had wanted that aren't in there? And certainly the highest profile of those things was uh, the the one warming center, and yeah. it wasn't what uh, you know the board of health members who had voted to try and open five warming centers twenty four seven for the rest of the season wanted. But I think it was an acknowledgement that when city council decided not to open those warming centers just just a week ago or two weeks ago yeah, two weeks, uh, yeah. uh, you know and the mayor's team had sort of shot down that idea i think there was quite a backlash and maybe more than they were expecting and cuz i think um the people of toronto know that we don't have endless amounts of money and they also know that that housing affordability and homelessness are really complicated problems to solve but the concept of a warming center is like it's minus 15 out there. There's somebody on the street who has no place to go because the shelters are full and they can't get a bed. Can we unlock the door and let them sit inside? Yeah. Like, that's essentially what a warming center is. Yep. And it just seems so cold and heartless. So I think for a lot of people, too, that, you know, one warming center is better than none. You know, we'll see if if this remains a problem or if or if this works out. Um some of the other stuff that's in that motion is also really important, but it's it's harder to like kind of find a clear line. Some yeah. of it is a bit more money for community safety programs, um, you know, things like that. They were things that people thought were important. Before we move on to the Emergencies Act inquiry, I know that you were down uh, at City Hall on Wednesday, as well as our uh, Jason Chapman, the executive uh, producer of 640. Uh, <laughs> just what was it like being there with all of the mayhem, all of the excitement? I mean, you know, people protesting, people demanding chairs. Yeah, it's- I mean, it, it was uh, a bit of a chaotic scene. It was like, 
interesting uh, because I haven't seen City Hall like that since I came back from the United States. Yeah. I mean, when I just come back uh, in September, uh, you know, the city's coming out of the pandemic. A lot of people aren't even working in the building anymore. And the, the public galleries through meetings, including, you know, controversial items like that warming center item, have been pretty empty, you know, and there's been a pretty sleepy place. And all of a sudden, with this uh, mayoral scandal and resignation and the intrigue and drama around that, um, budget day was was just jam-packed. Mm. And um, the, there were tons and tons of press there. There were protesters in the in the square outside. And twice the meeting was delayed. It was delayed for over two hours uh, because, you know, people in the gallery were refusing to let it start. They were heckling and shouting and protesting and whatnot. And so twice uh, City Hall security cleared all the public out of the gallery to try and remove people. Um, And, you know, that led to some tense moments. Jason Chapman uh, and I were among a few members of the media who initially refused to clear the chamber when one demonstrator uh, was causing a problem. And in my logic, because, you know, they, they clear the public when there's a uh, an obstruction of the meeting. They declare the meeting in recess and they ask the public to leave. And that's that's fine. I understand the process here. But they had started asking the media to leave. And I was trying to say uh, to the guards, like, we are here as witnesses on behalf of the general public. Yeah. Um, and, and so you have here, uh, a black woman, he, she had initially started asking for a chair and then she started saying that John Tory didn't have the moral standing to lead the meeting. And so she wasn't going to allow the meeting to continue. Um, you know, according to the rules of city hall, the security is in, in their rights to ask her to leave and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and I think a lot of people just wish that she would leave and, and let them get on with it. But, mm-hmm. but. Once security is in a sort of a standoff situation with with a protester like that, I think it's it's we've all learned over the last few years that you know when when authority figures or police are in a moment of conflict, especially with a, a black woman in this instance, uh, you don't want the bystanders to turn off their cameras, mm. right? Um, we. I I didn't have any assumption this was going to go bad, yeah. but I thought that if if we left and any kind of incident happened, like how could we explain that later that we did weren't there to witness it? How could we parse it out? So, you know, there were a lot of odd and tense moments like that. Mm-hmm. And then and then what happened, of course, is that it was a budget debate, which was kind of it at times kind of grindingly boring, right? That's right. that's the nature of democracy. And so you had all these people who came for the fireworks sort of like drifting off to sleep there, <laughs> just waiting to see if some, some big mayor news would happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, it was like an hour after that meeting uh, that John Tory, you know, ended the speculation by issuing just a statement. He didn't come out and speak or anything, but he, his office issued a statement late at night saying, you know, I'm, I'm officially leaving on Friday at 5 p.m., you know. So the, the news a lot of people were waiting for did come, but they had to sit through a lot of... Um, the boring elements of democracy to get there. Oh, gosh. Uh, talking, well, I don't know if this is a boring aspect of democracy. I mean, you know, you think back to, to last year. Wow, uh, Ottawa was in a very different place. Justice Paul Rouleau says the federal government did meet the threshold to trigger the Emergencies Act. Um, thoughts on the inquiry and, and the report out of it? 
I think it was important that there was an inquiry and we got to hear all the behind the scenes story or much of the behind the scenes story and get some outside objective uh, assessment of that. Because I, I, I think there were a lot of Canadians who thought they should have done this earlier called the, you know, and there were, there are a lot of Canadians who still think this was a authoritarian overreach. Mm-hmm. And I think I had serious questions about how it, it went down. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those questions have been answered. A lot of it looks in retrospect like you can understand the decisions that were made, but uh, other decisions made earlier would have prevented them, right? Perrin Beattie, who was the retired politician who wrote the Emergencies Act uh, way back when, uh, he had said, you know, it looks like what happened here is that uh, the politicians called in the police, and when the police couldn't handle it, they had to call in the politicians again. Mm. Um, and, it, and it really does seem that both um, the provincial government and the OPP, as well as the Ottawa Police Department, uh, did, didn't handle this as well as they should be expected to um, in the initial stages and in the initial policing of it, which uh, maybe created a situation where, where, where the federal cabinet was justified in thinking that they would need these tools. Um, I think even after reading the report um, or reading some of the summaries of the report, I, I admit I haven't read all its 500-plus pages, um, I, I still have concerns about things like the freezing of bank accounts and whatnot. Uh, that seems like the, the justice here has said, you know, he had concerns about that and that that it was undone sort of quickly enough that it he, he's satisfied it would have been handled, right? Like, like it would have been... Uh, but you know when you could see how quickly the police were able to clear the protest at the Windsor Bridge at the at the border uh when when it became a trade concern right so so when when everybody says oh wait this is actually going to harm our relationship with the United States they're able to to crack down right away and make make it problem go away uh it makes it all the more puzzling that that these kind of like Really extreme looking measures, even if they were temporary, even if they weren't fully deployed, uh, what, why we would need to invoke those. So I, I think there's another good chance here uh, after, after reading the report. And to some extent, I think a lot of people read a report like this, even after a commission like this, and, and whatever they thought before, they just think it all the more now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you, you see that, too, with the January 6th commission in the United States and all of that, right? right. It's unclear that a lot of the people who are most uh, most upset about this one way or the other are going to have their minds changed. But I think for the rest of the people who want to know what lessons we can learn about this and what needs to be changed in the future, it's it's interesting to look at this and look at maybe what changes we need to make to the Emergencies Act uh, and also what changes we make to how we prepare for situations like big demonstrations like that that become occupations or whatever and how we deal with it. And I, I don't have all the answers, but I think a report like this and a commission like this is really useful if if anybody's now willing to take the time and say, okay, what about next time? What are we going to do different? And how are we going to prevent uh, the need or the perceived need? How are we going to not have a situation arise that makes us makes anybody think we need to declare the Emergencies Act and suspend any civil liberties. Absolutely.